Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. First National's first quarter 2021 analyst call. At this time, you are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be given at that time on how to queue up to ask a question. This call is being recorded for replay purposes on April 28, 2021 at 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is now my pleasure to turn the call over to Stephen Smith, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of First National. Please proceed, Mr. Smith. Thank you, operator, and good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to our call, and thank you for participating. Uh, also on the line are Rob Ingalls, uh, Chief Financial Officer, who will provide quarterly performance highlights, and Jason Ellis, our President and Chief Operating Officer, who will discuss our outlook. Since the MD&A provides full details, our prepared marks will be brief. Uh, before we begin, I will remind you that our Remarks and answers may contain forward-looking information about future events or the company's future performance. This information is subject to risk and uncertainties and should be considered in conjunction with the risk factors detailed in our MD&A. We are very pleased with First National's first quarter. In fact, growth in our earnings exceeded our expectations. For shareholders, strong profitability provided such good coverage for a common share dividend that the Board of Directors approved a further increase to our dividend rate starting on June 15th. This 25% uh, per share, this 25 cent per share increase brings the dividend rate to $2.35 per share on an annualized basis. This represents the 15th consecutive year since our IPO in 2006 that we increased distributions to our shareholders, and that's possible because of the structural advantages of the first national business model. For the first quarter, the dividend payout ratio was in the low 60s, and together with a positive trend in cash flow, the board felt comfortable with this latest increase. Turning to operations, first quarter performance did not display the typical effects of market seasonality as borrowers continued to finance home purchases at a record pace to take advantage of low interest rates. I think the fact that many Canadians also accumulated savings during the lockdown and deployed it into housing was another factor that played in favour of a very uh, active first quarter market. Looking specifically at production, Single-family originations increased 58%. Once again, double-digit growth was generated by every first national office across Canada. Commercial originations were lower than last year by 31%. In context, we are comparing to a very strong quarter uh, to start 2020, which included some very uh, fairly large financings that landed in that particular period. Because 2020 was such an unusual year, I think a better basis of comparison for progress is 2019, 
Uh, if you recall, Q1 2019 commercial originations were $1.2 billion, and at the same time we described that performance as strong, which it was. Uh, this year, uh, Q1 generated $1.8 billion of commercial originations. On a normalized basis, we think this is a good start to the year. On a consolidated basis, new mortgage origination was higher by 16% over last year. Our strong market share performance was supported by great service from all our teams. Speaking specifically to our employees, thank you for your dedicated efforts. I know there has been a lot of discussion in the media and on Parliament Hill about measures to cool the housing market. Although OSFI has increased the qualifying rate and the federal government in the recent budget introduced a, uh, uh, a non-resident afford buyer um, uh, tax on vacant housing, I don't believe these measures will have much impact upon demand. We are certainly of the view that lack of supply has and continues to be an ongoing issue particularly in Vancouver and Toronto. The creation of additional housing stock is the real solution to the supply issue. And since First National finances both single-family and multi-unit apartments, including new construction, we look forward to being part of the solution for the long term. Now over to Rob. Uh, thanks, Stephen, and good morning, everyone. First quarter revenue increased 23%, but was down 1% if we exclude the changes in the fair market value of financial instruments related to interest rate movements between the quarters. The biggest drivers of revenue growth were a 26% increase in residential volume originated for institutions, the impact on per unit placement fees from a proportionally larger volume of residential business compared to commercial this quarter, and 37% growth mortgage servicing income, which includes both our third-party underwriting and our administration businesses. The outlier, as in Q4, was mortgage investment income, which was 3 or 4% lower, reflecting the lower interest rate environment compared to Q1 last year. As you may recall, we ended 2020 with virtually no borrowers on deferral, despite adding no new borrowers to the program since September 2020. Our investment in deferred payments has not significantly decreased its peak in the third quarter. Most borrowers return to making their regularly, uh, regular monthly payments. Accordingly, these assets will only be repaid when those borrowers either renew for a new term with First National to pay out. We are encouraged that these investments will gradually be repaid to provide cash flow over the next four years. Expenses in the first quarter were generally higher, but for the right reasons. In Q1, Brokerage expenses increased by 80% on a 93% increase in single-family originations uh, made for institutional investors. Three-unit broker fees were generally consistent between the years, but we did expend some of the costs of broker loyalties left over from 2020. Wage costs increased 24% as a result of growth in our workforce and some 2020 bonus costs which were expensed in the first quarter. Other operating expenses increased 5%, but most of the increase went to higher hedging costs. Excluding that, other expenses increased modestly due to costs to support the growth of the business, higher MUA, and technology investment. Interest expense 
Much like investment income decreased 42% due to the uh, decline in short-term uh, lending rates. Now, over to Jason. Thanks, Rob, and good morning, everyone. The past year has been a busy one for the First National team with substantial growth and originations leading to record mortgages under administration in every quarter, this one included. Through a large part of last year, we also responded to a record number of requests for service and advice from our borrowers and their mortgage advisors, which is understandable given the unusual economic and market circumstances. Our scalable model has been critical to our success during this time. Operating leverage is not a concept often associated with mortgage lenders, but technology, including automation, has definitely provided that kind of leverage by allowing us to be productive as well as efficient as we've put more business on the books. Stated simply, our origination platform has a fixed cost component, so additional origination volume has a positive impact on the marginal costs of underwriting. At the same time, we still needed to add to our workforce. Over the past year, we've added 276 people, a 26% year-over-year increase. Investing in our workforce is a key strategic priority, and growing it is a sign of confidence in First National's future. Additional staff have been deployed in all areas, including third-party underwriting, where our customers are also experiencing strong growth. We've put a great deal of effort into the successful recruiting, onboarding, and training of new hires using virtual means. What's more difficult is to instill our culture in our new employees while we continue to work from home. Our collaborative and entrepreneurial spirit sets First National apart, and it's crucial to maintain these values throughout the organization. We are very pleased with the extraordinary efforts of our employees who are to be credited for much of our success this quarter and over the long term. Thank you to everyone. Turning to our short-term outlook, it hasn't changed since our last call. We remain very positive. Since the first quarter of 2020, the housing market has been extraordinarily strong. We expect this trend to continue in support of our optimism for increased residential origination in 2021. We also expect we also expect success in growing commercial mortgage originations. As you heard from Stephen, commercial originations were down in the first quarter relative to an exceptional Q1 last year, but demand signals in the market remain positive. On the funding side, demand remains strong from institutional investors who have a substantial amount of liquidity available to deploy and know they can do so and earn an attractive risk-managed return in mortgages originated by First National. Securitization markets also continue to operate well after a brief period of disruption at the beginning of the pandemic. For the short and long term, we believe our strong relationships with mortgage brokers and our diverse funding sources will keep First National in a leadership position in the market. And of course, we take comfort from the fact that the company will continue to generate income and cash flow from our servicing portfolio and our mortgages pledged under securitization, which together amount to approximately $117 billion. And of course, we expect to continue to capture the value inherent in our single family renewal book. This concludes our prepared remarks. We'll be pleased to take your questions now. Operator, please open the line for questions. As a reminder, to ask a question, you need to press star 1 on your telephone. 
To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. And your first question comes from the line of Ethan Ricard with DMO Capital Markets. Ethan, good morning. Hey, good morning. First question on uh, mortgage servicing income, um, you know, from from your third party underwriting arrangement continues to be strong. Um, could could you help us understand how meaningful those partnerships could become over time from a, a top line? Uh, perspective. Hi, it's uh, Jason at Jan. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the the servicing line is a combination of third-party underwriting as well as our uh, traditional mortgage administration activities. I would say that proportionally, the third-party underwriting fees uh, have been growing, uh, and uh, we expect them to continue to form a meaningful part of that line of income going forward. Okay, so I mean, the, the vast majority still remain servicing income on, on the book. Um, got you. Um, the, 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 the vast majority of that line is related to the servicing revenue on the, um, I don't know, Rob, what is it, uh, approximately $50 billion of mortgages that are serviced for third parties? Uh, I think it's like 83 or something. Yeah, like, you know, 35 is on our balance sheet kind of thing, and the 83 is uh, with uh, institutions. Okay, great. Um, switching towards Excalibur, could you provide an update on how the rollout is progressing in British Columbia and um, what impact on securitization margins should we expect as as Excalibur continues to grow? Well, uh, we uh, continue to roll the product out in British Columbia. I would say that we're not probably at full steam yet, uh, but uh, we're pleased with how that's going. As far as impact to the net interest margins on the securitized portion of the book, uh, I think it'll be quite a small impact even as that program continues to grow given the relatively large denominator of prime mortgages through the uh, both NHA MBS and ABCP securitization programs. Okay, makes sense. And uh, um, it's great to see this additional uh, dividend increase. And even after the increase, it seems that we may still be at the low or, you know, at slightly yeah. below your 60 to 70% target range. And, um, you know, looking ahead, looking ahead, how should we think about First National favoring regular uh, dividend increases relative to special dividends? Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question, Jack, because I think we have that internal debate ourselves. Uh, we are torn uh, between being prudent and cautious. Uh, between uh, following macro, uh, uh, market practice, uh, even with that 25 cent increase, the payout ratio is still quite low. So there's internal debates. There's internal debates whether we should increase uh, dividends further because we think there's room. I think the fact that we've had four years in a row of specials, uh, there's the argument inside, well, we've had four years of special. Maybe we can afford to increase the uh, dividend, particularly with the big jump in income uh, last year and continuing. 
I would say that we certainly would have a policy that we want to increase dividends each year. And uh, one could make an argument that maybe our uh, our target of 60 to 70 percent, which we have tended to uh, avoid, is, is perhaps uh, too conservative, that we could go for a higher payout ratio. But um, in, in the end, we're, we're probably focused here to remain uh, maintain um, appropriate amount of capital yet still pay pay out uh, a good dividend. So how should you think about Well, I think uh, to the extent that we can, we'll continue to pay out dividends and we'll continue to try to grow that as, as much as is um, prudently possible. Thank you for your comments. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot podcast. Easier said, done. Your next question comes from the line of Grand Writing with TD Securities. Hi, good morning. Hi, Grand. Uh, Stephen, the 60 to 70% payout ratio target, is that just on your regular dividend or does that include your specials? Um, no, that doesn't include the specials. That would be the regular payout. So I, I think if the way we've been running this, uh, Graham, is we, on an on a run rate basis, we it's the 60 to 70. We've had that target for a few years. And then when we get to the end of the year, we see uh, we look at it as um, uh, what capital do we need going forward, and then we do the special based on that. So um, last year, for example, it was a great year, um, and but we did a 50 cent. And I remember when we put together the number, and one of the reasons so much room is oh, I think we wanted to see visibility into 2021. So we had more room back uh, last year because we announced that it would have been uh, beginning of November. But actually, when we put it together and the numbers, we sort of, we basically did it on, I think, um, if I go back on the end of August numbers, and we ended up having a very strong four months at the end of the year, so numbers came in a lot stronger. Um, and then, uh, but at the beginning of last year, 2020, if you recall, that there were substantial mark-to-market um, -market losses in the quarter, so that tended to erode uh, erode income too. So that would be a factor. But to your to your your point, the when we do when we think of payout ratio 60 to 70, that's that's on the run rate, and then the payout just adjusts us to where we should we should think we should be appropriate to be on a capital basis. Okay, understood. Um, 
appreciate your comments on, you know, the regulatory policy and you feel like this is a more of a supply issue that's not necessarily a short-term solution. Uh, well, how are you feeling just about... You know, I have to say this market, you know, this can't keep up. Um, this reminds me, and I'm, I will be dating myself here, uh, it reminds me of 1988-89, and I do remember the market in 89, June 89, and it stopped like in a week, all of a sudden gone. Um, and we were into uh, a lot of monetary tightening, rates were double digits uh, back then, and we went into a period of monetary tightening for a number of years in the early 90s, very, very tough. Um, we would see here, this is a lot different market, um, but it will change and at some point we're going to have, the bid will come off and uh, things will slow down. Uh, if I have a view of how I think things will go, I think it will be a case of things will slow down quite a bit and uh, I don't necessarily see prices dropping. Um, just probably go sideways for quite a while as income catches up. But the certainly the lack of supply is a big issue. And it's a big issue in Toronto in particular, uh, where provincial and municipal regulations uh, conspire together to restrict supply and make it expensive. And uh, we have a policy in Metro Toronto of intensification. And everyone supports intensification as long as it's not within a kilometer of their house. <laughs> and we can we can see that um, along the, the Bloor, Bloor subway where that's been there for 60, almost 70 years now, and yet it's uh, one, two-story buildings all the way along. And because local, uh, generally local people have uh, opposed intensification. And uh, so, that's that's an over uh, that's certainly an over overriding issue. So and, and until we solve the supply issue, we're, we're going to have demand. The other the other change that I would say the big big change in the last decade, and it would start um, after the crisis of 07, 08, would be the introduction of B20 and OSFI. Particularly based on the experience in the United States, was very concerned about a real estate bubble. And uh, a mortgage loan is really a loan to an individual secured by real estate. And very easy at a certain point to just make that real estate. And, but OSFI through B20 has put more and more focus, and lenders and supported by insurers have made that mortgages much more covenant loans. So they, you're being linked to on the basis of your ability to repay through your income with collateral in the house. So the, the number that I quote all the time would be in 07, 08, First National, uh, we did 21, 22% of our loans at FICO was under 680. Now it's maybe 3% certainly no insured loans under 680 any longer. So you've seen the insurers tighten up, all the DCIPs tighten up, the markets tightened up. So the quality, oh, quality of the book is, is very high, 
Another stat is average FICO in uh, 07, 08, 705, now it's 775. So a very, very high quality book. So if I had a concern is we, at some point this, this market's going to slow down and we will not be looking at these same originations. When that is, I don't know. It's, it's, like, any, it's like any market. It's like predicting a turn in the equity markets. There'll be some event or something will happen. Don't know what that is. Um, certainly with all the stimulus the government's providing and all the savings on the sideline, you could see this running for a while. But um, anyway, those are, those are my comments generally on the housing market and our, and our book and the resiliency of it. So, yeah. so I feel a lot more comfortable about the book. And this gets back to like all pay business. We had an all pay program and I think it goes to the all pay lenders. Um, where it, back in the day, prior to B20, I think all pay was much more just real estate loans. In fact, even a number of the DCIBs have had programs that will lend you 75% if your FICO was 720, no questions asked. And that's just all gone. So the, the, uh, the support underlying the mortgage book in general is as strong as it's ever been. Perfect. Appreciate the color. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Jeff Kwan with RBC Capital Markets. You mentioned in the MDNA just the origination uh, comparable to 2000. Just wanted to get clarification. Did you mean that kind of more for for Q2, or I suspect you might have meant more for the 2021 um, on a on a full year basis? Sorry, Jeff, can you just repeat that one more time? Yeah, you, ha you had, to, you had the outlook that you were kind of talking about residential um, originations to be comparable to 2020. I was just asking whether or not that was in reference to Q2 or, or just still sticking to the kind of the full oh, that 2021 would be year. year. In, in okay. Fact, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. There, 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 there's a couple of different factors there. I would say we had a strong 2020, and I, we, we'd see 2021 being as strong. Um, one factor that's sort of a head, uh, tailwinds on that is certainly we would see prices in the first Q1 up by about 30%. So if you had a, uh, given those tailwinds, uh, that would point to some fairly strong numbers, so it gets into an issue of to what extent one thinks the how strong the market's going to be for the rest of the year on a unit basis. So okay. uh, but those numbers apply to the full for, uh, to the full year or our forecast. And then just what you're seeing right now, obviously the year-over-year -year comp should be easier for, for Q2 uh, relative to last year, but just I guess maybe relative to recent quarters and obviously adjusting for seasonality, like how how are you thinking how or what's the visibility around Q2 right now? But also too, um, do you think that you're starting to see or are you seeing evidence of, of maybe people trying to get ahead of um, um, the OSFI, you know, likely increase in the stress test rate? We we haven't seen any evidence of people trying to get ahead of the stress test. That's a five. That's a five percent increase on the mortgage. Less when you look at the mortgage, including taxes and 
cheating and so on, so, but we haven't seen any indication. I imagine at the margin there'll be some, but um, that would only apply in, in, in certain markets. And uh, at this point, it doesn't affect insured business, although I think we expect we were surprised that the stress test wasn't increased in the budget, but as it stands now, it only affects conventional non-insured markets. Right, and, and just in general, the Q2, how it's kind of shaping up, say, relative to, say, Q1 and I, Q4. I think, uh, I think in general, Q, uh, the market can, tends to be strong. Uh, I, I would say in the best, uh, best indication for or to get a feeling how a particular quarter is just take the CREA numbers when they come out. So we okay. wouldn't have had April. We obviously don't have April CREA numbers, but they will come out and they'll tell you. But certainly, uh, uh, certainly there's house, house sales, uh, certainly for March, were uh, world ball records, and that starts to tend to be a pretty February. So sales in February and March tend to close in April, May, June. So they, they tend to be strong. Q2, uh, Q2 tends to look strong with respect to originations. Okay. Just uh, my last question was on the uh, the multi-unit residential commercial side of your business. You mentioned the mark the mortgage market uh, being a little bit more competitive there uh, in Q1. Just curious. Um, you know, I'm guessing it's probably the banks, but if any sort of insight as to what had changed, um, was it, you know, uh, certain parts of that market that were more competitive than others, or were there other factors at play? Uh, hey, Jeff, it's Jason. Um, I would say that uh, we've definitely noticed uh, other participants re-entering that space a little bit more aggressively, and you're right, it would be the banks, and it would be life insurance companies, um, and what we've often observed is some of those participants, those big balance sheet participants who aren't necessarily leveraging securitization in that market the way we do, tend to come out at the beginning of the year with large budgets to originate, and they tend to fill those very quickly. So our hope would be that if history is any indicator, some of those competitive pressures might fill their uh, piece for the year and step aside. But uh, structurally, we're still seeing a very active multifamily market. So uh, we, we do have confidence going forward in our ability to continue to grow that book. Okay, perfect. Thank you. And again, if you'd like to ask a question, you may do so by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of Jane Blonde with National Bank Financial. Yeah, thanks. Good morning. Um, just want to dig in on the uh, on the expense side uh, a little bit. In terms of the uh, the brokerage uh, fee expenses uh, in this quarter, kind of picked up from last quarter, and they seem to be higher than uh, recent years. So, can you give us a little color as to uh, what's driving that, and uh, are these higher brokerage fees as a percentage of the um, mortgages originated and sold to institutional investors? Is this something that's Sustainable at these levels are sure to come back down to what we saw in 2019, 2018 levels. Uh, James Rob, I think per unit it's basically the same. Uh, in 2020, we had a gangbuster year, and at the end of the year, we had you know a lot of broker incentives that we accrued for various people. 
That was going to be my follow-up there. Um, uh, elsewhere in the expenses, the uh, the increase in the headcount pretty uh, pretty substantial. Is that um, is that a permanent increase you think, or is that something that's a bit more temporary, just given the uh, the, the huge uptick in volumes here? Yeah, at this point, there's no reason to think of it as anything but permanent. Uh, we've hired across the organization uh, underwriting residential administration. Um, commercial. Uh, we've just seen incredible growth in origination volumes uh, in all aspects of the business. So uh, at this stage, those are permanent increases and we, we continue to hire. So uh, feel free to send your resume in. Okay, thanks. Thanks very much. I don't know that they qualify. <laughs> Jamie, you know, the, the other uh, two, a couple things that have happened is uh, Big hires there is that our third-party underwriting has been a big success. If you recall, uh, we uh, put that contract uh, out. Our first one was with the TD, and uh, that was launched in 2015. And that had a five-year term that was renewed uh, last year. And uh, they have had substantial growth. So they've had substantial growth along growth and along with the increase in the market, there's been an awful lot of hiring there. And of course, we brought on uh, another uh, regulated FI, uh, I think a year and a half ago, and uh, we they uh, and we've been hiring for them too. They've been growing as well. So uh, that hire that that uh, employment hire comes from maybe I'd say three different areas. One, our own growth, um, our growth and also our growth for our third-party underwriters. So combined now, um, if you looked at what we, in the broker channel, we would underwrite um, around a third, uh, around a third of all the mortgage underwritten in the channel. So that's, it's, uh, it's, it tends to be a lot of people. Thank you. Smith, there are no further questions. Back to you for closing remarks. Okay, thank you, everybody. Um, as there are no further questions, we look forward to holding our virtual annual meeting of our shareholders on May the 6th, which I guess is next week. And full details are available in our management information circular. Look forward to seeing everyone there. And thanks for taking part in the call today. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.